The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello everyone and welcome to the week 11 edition of Filato on Football. I am your host Nicholas Filato here on the Big Blue View Radio Network. How is everyone doing today? We're going to talk some week 11 it was an interesting week for sure. A little bit low scoring in the early slate, I guess you could say, the 1 o'clock slate until late in the fourth quarter when some scoring started to pick up. But then in the 4 o'clock slate, you had some more higher scoring games. I'm imagining the Sunday night football game could be high scoring, although I am recording this right before that game. The New York Giants were on bye week, so we would not be going through my monologue about the New York Giants, although there has been quite a bit of drama, I guess you could say, with the coaching staff. Mark Colombo, as all you guys are aware of, I'm sure, was relieved by Joe Judge when Joe Judge wanted to bring in D. Guglielmo, which I've just been waiting to say that last name, who is a accomplished offensive line coach around the NFL, who's a bit of a grading personality, but Joe Judge wanted to bring him in to assist and be a consultant to Mark Colombo. Mark Colombo took offense to this, and then Mark Colombo And Joe Judge got into a verbal altercation, it seems, which led to Mark Colombo being let go and DiGuglielmo receiving the job. DiGuglielmo was in the running for this job before Mark Colombo was brought in by Jason Garrett. Obviously, that's something to pay attention to because Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo are obviously close, and now Mark Colombo is no longer there. So there's some storylines. I really hope this doesn't affect the locker room. There's some storylines, I guess you can say, that are uh, interesting. One that was specifically interesting was the familiarity between Coach Dave DiGuglielmo and Mark Colombo. DiGuglielmo was his offensive line coach in Miami when Mark Colombo was finishing his career. And Mark Colombo was on record saying that he learned the most from any coach in his career from DiGuglielmo. And Judge, I feel, was aware of that, thinking that the two would mesh, but Colombo just took it as a slight because Judge has been reportedly working with the offensive line in practice the last three weeks, which coincides with the success of the offensive line. So Judge thought it was necessary to bring in someone who was familiar, someone who could help the technique and what help kind of teach maybe even Colombo exactly what Judge wants from these players. Did not go over well. My main point about this is I really hope it doesn't affect the locker room. I really hope there's not a fallout. I really hope that these young offensive linemen still take to this coach. And I hope that this isn't a hiccup in the Giants' season. Although the Giants are 3-7, and they are still on the run for the playoffs, even with Dallas and Washington winning this week. 
But then there was the Philadelphia Eagles. So let's transition to brief overviews of each of these NFL games on the 1 and 4 o'clock slates. The 3, 6, and 1 Eagles now lose to the now 7 and 3 Cleveland Browns 22 to 17 in Cleveland. This game was Cleveland weathery. And what I mean by that is the last three games, including this one, in Cleveland have all been incredible wind and incredible rain. Now, this one didn't have the wind, but it was misty, it was ugly, it was cold out there, and both quarterbacks were truly affected. You could look at their stats or you could look at their games. Now, Carson Wentz threw for 235 yards, had two touchdowns. He threw two picks, though, as well, and he could have thrown a lot more in this game. He just looks totally erratic, totally out of sync. I don't know what is going on there. Ever since Frank Reich left to become the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Carson Wentz has not been the same. He really hasn't been the same since 2017, his MVP season, which obviously the next year Frank Reich did leave. But the drop-off of what I expected Carson Wentz to be is astronomical. He seemed like he was going to be the next top five quarterback every year. Right now he looks lost absolutely lost and in this game he was sacked five times and just pocket awareness his pocket maneuverability his accuracy his timing his rhythm his ball placement everything it's just not there anymore it's very inconsistent it's absolutely uh definitely troubling if you're a philadelphia eagles fan for giants fans obviously it's not as troubling because we were all worried about what Wentz could become. And I know a wise man once told me in development that it's not always linear with these players. And I think Carson Wentz is a pretty prime example of that. He was developing at a rapid rate. There were some changes to the offensive coaching staff. There were a bunch of different offensive coordinators and quarterbacks coach that got facilitated in. And Carson Wentz's offensive line got beat up. And now the guy's shell-shocked. And he's just not the same. And it was apparent in this game. Absolutely was. Baker Mayfield didn't look that much better. He threw for 204 yards on 22 attempts, but it was just Cleveland rushing the ball. Nick Chubb, 20 carries for 114 yards. Kareem Hunt, 13 carries for 11, but got a touchdown. Could have had two. Was about two inches away from having two touchdowns. And Nick Chubb just looks really legit. Watching him run in between the tackles, the jump cuts he uses, the vision, the timing, the pacing that he runs with, it's incredible. Not to mention he's a load to bring down. Nick Chubb's a top five running back in this league top five and philadelphia they can't really get anything going with miles sanders they attempt to and then they somewhat abandon it i mean this game wasn't a runaway game by any means halftime it was seven nothing cleveland and that seven points was on a pick six by sayon takitaki then cleveland got a safety and a field goal in the third philly scored and it was just an ugly game in the fourth quarter both teams scored 10 points dallas goddard got a touchdown towards the end of the game he had six targets, five catches for 77 yards, and a tutty in this game. I'm expecting him to break out. Thought it could possibly happen against the Giants. Didn't seem like he was as big of a focal point. Richard Rodgers had the other Carson Wentz touchdown, which begs to ask the question, why isn't Jalen Rager or Travis Fogelm getting any of these touchdowns? It seems like it's always a running back or a tight end. There's just a lot wrong with the Philadelphia Eagles right now. Ironically enough, though, because of that tie against the Bengals in the beginning of the season, they're still in first in the division. Because everybody else has seven losses, they have a freaking tie. And the Giants, 3-7. and seven. Washington, 3-7. and seven. Dallas, 3-7. and seven. 
And it's not even like Cleveland just controlled the ball in this game and kept the ball away from the Eagles. No. Possession was basically split. Cleveland had it a little bit more. First downs, basically split. Philadelphia had a little bit more. Just Philly's much more reckless with the football. They turned the football over. Mostly product of Carson Wentz. Things don't get much easier for the Eagles either. Now they get to host the Seahawks. Primetime. Television. Monday Night Football. Then the Packers. They got to travel to them for a 425 game. And then they got to play the Saints. And then they got to go to Arizona and to Dallas before finishing the season hosting Washington. Eagles, they may be in the lead of the division right now, and the worst division that we've seen in a while, but they are not out of the woods, and all three of these other teams seem to be brewing something up. And when they look as erratic as they have, <laughs> I do not have a warm and fuzzy, and I don't think any Eagles fan do either. I even asked my friend, I was like, I know Jalen Hurts isn't this traditional type quarterback, he might not be ready, but do you have to start asking the question? At least bring it up to see if this could change anything while this division is still salvageable. I think it could be brought up. But what a mess. Anyways, moving on to the Titans and the Ravens. So this was a very important game for playoff implications. Both of these teams came into this game 6-3. and three, And the Tennessee Titans were able to ascend and beat Baltimore in Baltimore 30-24. to 24. So now basically they have a tiebreaker over the Baltimore Ravens if they do finish with the same record, which could be very, very important down the stretch if these teams both get hot. Now, for Baltimore's case, maybe not as much because they're in the division with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are still undefeated. But having that tiebreaker, if they do face each other, who's hosting the playoff game? Tennessee. Not that, you know, Tennessee hasn't gone into Baltimore multiple times this year and in the playoffs last year and beaten the crap out of Baltimore, because they have. Obviously. And Lamar Jackson, sub 200 yards passing once again. Marquise Brown, there's an MIA sticker up for the man. Nowhere to be found. Had three targets, dropped one of them. Maybe had a, could have had a touchdown, but the play was blown dead as he was catching the ball. Looked like he was about seven yards away. Could have scampered in if he made someone miss in space, which he could. But it was in the Mark Andrews show. Seven targets, five catches, 96 yards, and one touchdown. And guess who had the second most catches? Des Bryant. Yes, Des Bryant. The Des Bryant you know. The I caught the football Des Bryant. Tony Romo's best buddy, Des Bryant. Five targets. Caught four of them for 28 yards. Didn't look half bad. The little bit that I saw of them. But this passing attack, much like the Eagles passing attack, is disgusting. Right now. And they can't get much stabilized. It seems like the NFL's catching on to Lamar Jackson. They can't run the football. Not like they could last year. It's a product of people retiring. It's a product of injuries on the offensive line with Ronnie Stanley. It's a product of teams having an offseason to scheme against Lamar Jackson. But J.K. Dobbins, the rookie running back out of Ohio State, the second-round pick, looked very good. He's 15-70 with the touchdown. But he just looked great in space, looks spry, looks fast. When you watch him run and the Mark Ingram run, it's not even close. It's silly to even think that they were giving Mark Ingram a significant amount of carries for a very long time. It's got to be J.K. Dobbins, and if you want the hammer of Gus Edwards, bring in the hammer of Gus Edwards, but this is J.K. Dobbins' rushing attack now. And he had a good game against Tennessee. Defense that's not that great, but not the worst. And in this game, it looked like Baltimore was going to win. Going into the fourth quarter, Baltimore had the 21-13 lead, but Tennessee and that rushing attack really turned it on in the second half. 
Lamar Jackson trying to throw deep in the fourth quarter led to an interception by Amani Hooker. And then what happened? Tennessee drove down the field, 12-play drive, methodical 81 yards, and kicked a field goal. And then forced the Ravens to punt. Then they have a 10-play, 90-yard drive, punch it in the end zone with A.J. Brown, who was having a lackluster game until the towards the end of the game where he had four catches for 62 yards and that touchdown. And then the Ravens were able to drive down, kick a field goal, bring it to overtime, and then it was Derrick Henry on a six-play, 73-yard drive, basically just hand the ball to Derrick Henry, throw to A.J. Brown, and Derrick Henry some more. And then Derrick Henry ended up finishing this game, 28 carries for 133 yards and a touchdown. Couldn't stop him in the fourth quarter. I know the Ravens are down. Calais Campbell hurt a little bit. But Derrick Henry is such a hard player to slow down. And if you allow him to get those chunk yards, six yards here, seven yards here, four yards there, he's going to run down your throat. And Tannehill did just enough in this game. Yes, he had one kind of egregious interception. But 22 completions, 31 attempts, 259 yards, two touchdowns. Started getting A.J. Brown involved. Start having success. The touchdown to A.J. Brown was silly. Caught it, looked like he was going to go down around like the five-yard line, broke like four tackles, not even lying, and then just trucked into the end zone. Everyone talks about DK Metcalf, his college teammate, A.J. Brown, also equally beast-like. He's incredible. The Baltimore Ravens dropped this game, and Pittsburgh's just running away with that division at this point, and Baltimore just looks out of sorts. Really do. I mean, they were able to get solid possession in the game. It's about split. The Titans possessed it about two minutes more. Tennessee had over 120 yards more of offense. Because Baltimore just can't do a lot on offense. And then we had the Patriots and the Texans, which is another game that is very interesting because the Patriots are trying to make that playoff push. They're 4-5 and five going into this game, facing a 2-7 and seven team. And Houston comes out victorious. 27-20. New England dropped this game. Cam Newton ends up having a decent amount of throwing yards at the end of the game. Didn't necessarily do that in the first half of this game. It was mostly a lot of running. Damian Harris, early drive, he was just punching the ball down the Houston Texans' throat. Wasn't really used too much down the stretch because Houston jumped out to a 21-10 lead at halftime. And it was much more James White. Rex Burkhead ended up going down with a pretty significant leg injury. It's going to knock him out for the rest of the season. I'm not sure if it's a torn ACL, but it was pretty ugly. It was on like the first or second play of the second half. So then after that, it was just all James White. A little bit of Damian Harris sprinkled in. And it wasn't Jacoby Myers for Cam Newton this week. It was Demir Bird, New Jersey's best Demir Bird. Seven targets, six catches for 132 yards and one touchdown in the game. But the main storyline isn't the Patriots. They were bested by a quarterback named Deshaun Watson, who in the first half was just going ham. 28 completions on 37 attempts for 344 yards and two touchdowns. Wasn't sacked once. Looked like he could do whatever he wanted back there in the pocket, and he did. He also added a rushing touchdown, six carries for 36 yards. Deshaun was just doing whatever he wanted, and the throwing touchdowns weren't too Will Fuller or Brandon Cooks, or DeAndre Hopkins, I wonder why, but it was Kiki Cootie and Randall Cobb. Shortly after Cobb caught the touchdown, seems like he broke his foot and he might be out for the rest of the year as well. 
Will Fuller finished with eight targets, six for 80. Duke Johnson couldn't really get much going on the ground. He had 10 carries, 15 yards. They even actually put in C.J. Procise because last week Duke Johnson played 98% of the snaps. It was pretty remarkable to be that inefficient <laughs> on all those snaps, especially with somebody who's typically known for his efficiency, like Duke Johnson. But Deshaun Watson just put the team on his back, and he did everything. New England possessed the ball 32 minutes to 27 of Tennessee. But it didn't matter. New England did what they wanted to. They wanted to run the football. They wanted to control the clock. They wanted to keep the ball out of Deshaun Watson's hands. But Deshaun was so efficient and so good that in the end, there wasn't much the New England Patriots could do. They had a chance towards the end of the game. They had an 11-play drive where they were driving and driving and driving. Got to a 4th and 4 Cam Newton threw an incomplete pass, and the Houston Texans get the ball. They punted it. Cam Newton tried airing it out twice. Ryan Izzo actually came down with both of the passes, his only two catches of the game, and one of them was a Hail Mary, but it was about 15 yards out of the end zone. So Patriots' playoff chances are slowly slipping away. Houston don't really have playoff chances, but... You know, this is good for the Giants. If the Giants don't win as many games, they're going to be competing with the Houston Texans for top spot. And they also have the Miami Dolphins draft pick, but the Dolphins aren't nearly as bad as we expected. Anyways, but before I go on to the next games, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Moving on to the other NFC East opponent of the New York Giants, the Washington football team defeated the Cincinnati Bengals at home 20-9 in a game that's really low-lighted by the injury of first overall pick Joe Burrow, who was having a solid game, threw for 203 yards, touchdown to A.J. Green, which was the first touchdown between the young rookie and Green himself. But Burrow suffered a pretty devastating 
leg injury and it's going to knock him out for the rest of the year. A uh, football team's defender was pushed back into his leg as he was throwing and as he planted his leg and his leg just bent severely in a very severe and disturbing way, which was incredibly unfortunate. And then after that, Ryan Finley came in the game, threw for 30 yards, an interception. But it's just a terrible loss for the Cincinnati Bengals. They couldn't really get much going on offense. Washington sacked Finley four times when he came into this game. They were getting a lot of pressure on Burrow as well. A.J. Green finished 4 for 41 and a touchdown. Tyler Boyd had 11 targets, finished 9 for 85. T. Higgins, 10 targets, 3 for 26. Giovanni Bernard, 5 targets, 4 for 37. And as for Washington, they kind of jumped out to an early lead, surrendered that lead, went to halftime 9-7, to and then came out in the second half, scored 13 points to win this game 20-9. Alex Smith didn't have to do all that much, threw for 166 yards, a touchdown, an interception. Antonio Gibson had 16 carries, 94 yards, and a touchdown. And then they also sprinkled in Peyton Barber and J.D. McKissick, who also looked solid on the ground. Peyton Barber was 8 for 28. J.D. McKissick was 6 for 43. And then for receiving, Terry McLaurin, 5 for 84 on 7 targets. McKissick only had 4 targets, so he didn't have to have 15 because they weren't trailing in this game. It was a low-scoring game marked by a terrible event. That's very, very unfortunate for the Cincinnati Bengals franchise, for Joe Burrow, and frankly for the National Football League. Then we had the Steelers and the Jaguars, which were the Jaguars, as people say, since I say Jaguars, they're a freaking weirdo. Not really sure why, but that's just the way it is. Steelers ascend to 10-0, Jaguars fall to 1-9, and and Pittsburgh dropped 27 points on Jacksonville. Won this game 27-3. Ben Roethlisberger threw the ball 46 times, 32 completions, 267 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Benny Snell vultured James Conner, but James Conner looked good other than that. 13 carries for 89 yards, about as good as Conner can be. I think he's kind of like a Todd Gurley in the sense that he's just not someone who's going to get the edge. He's not someone that's flashy. He's just a solid running back in the sense that he knows where to go, when to be there, and he's physical. But the speed and the burst just aren't there, if you ask me. Deontay Johnson continues to dominate targets. He had 16 targets, caught 12 of them for 111 yards. Chase Claypool, 8 targets, caught 4 of them, 59 yards and a tutty. Eric Ebron, 7 targets, caught 4 of them for 36 yards and a tutty. And then Jake Luton on the other side threw 4 picks. Pittsburgh was kind of all over the kid from the onset. In this game, early on, Jacksonville took a 3-0 lead. And it was like midway through the second. And then Pittsburgh just started pouring points on scored 17 points in the second and then 10 points in the fourth. DJ Chark had eight targets, caught four of them for 41 yards, and then Luton spread the ball out to a bunch of different receivers, but it was to no avail. They really didn't have a legit shot. It looked early on like, oh no, is this going to be another Pittsburgh Steelers meltdown when they're double-digit favorites on the road? Because for whatever reason, the Steelers are kind of famous for doing that. It's very, very annoying. Jacksonville is a hapless team. They couldn't possess the ball. I mean, James Robinson had 17 carries, 73 yards, which is respectable. Granted, Pittsburgh Steelers' defense isn't as potent without Devin Bush. Pittsburgh possessed this ball 36 minutes to Jacksonville's 23. And then they outgained them 375 to 206. Just another absolute beatdown by the Steelers. And Big Ben, who's looking really good in the last couple weeks. And that makes me think got to look at this Pittsburgh Steelers schedule. They play on Thanksgiving night against 
the Ravens. Now, Ravens could win that game, yes. But they also could lose it. And then they get Washington. Then they have to go to Buffalo, to Cincinnati, host the Colts, and then go to Cleveland. It's realistic that they could go 16-0. I don't think that's crazy at all for the Pittsburgh Steelers to possibly just run the table here. Their biggest opposition would be on Thanksgiving night, the Ravens. You can say the Bills are in opposition if Josh Allen's on. Colts have a really good defense. But those pass rushers and what those pass rushers might be able to do against Phillip Rivers, it's kind of scary. And then the Browns the Browns. So this should be interesting. Could they make history? Could they go 16-0 and then possibly win a Super Bowl? Something that the New England Patriots couldn't do back in 2007. Thank you, Tom Coughlin and the New York Giants. And then we had the curious NFC South matchup of the New Orleans Saints hosting the Atlanta Falcons. Why do I call it curious? Because Drew Brees suffered the injuries to the ribs. So it was presumed that Jameis Winston, the backup quarterback that they signed in the offseason from another NFC South team, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was going to be the starting quarterback. But that was not the case. On Friday, Sean Payton, head coach of the Saints, announced that Taysom Hill was going to start. For those of you who do not know how football Twitter and some of the people view Taysom Hill, they think he's a product of Sean Payton being kind of pompous, saying, look what I can do with this player who doesn't throw the football all that well, and that Sean Payton uses him in creative ways in somewhat of an arrogant fashion. Now, I don't really necessarily view it that way, but I was kind of surprised when Taysom Hill was named the starter over Jameis Winston, although Jameis Winston did look overwhelmed when he relieved Drew Brees in the second half last week. Taysom Hill did not look overwhelmed in this game. He had a lot of drop passes by a lot of his receivers. He didn't throw for astronomical numbers. He didn't throw any touchdowns. He got sacked three times. He was 18 of 23 for 233 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Taysom Hill on the ESPN platforms for fantasy football is listed as a tight end and a quarterback. He's a Swiss Army knife, as people like to say. He was a quarterback back at BYU a while ago. But he's basically a gadget player. The fact that you can put play him as a tight end is very, very cheap, obviously. But he had 10 carries for 51 yards and two touchdowns in this game. And the Falcons just couldn't do anything against the Saints defense, despite the Saints not having Marshawn Lattimore, their shutdown star corner. Shutdown I use loosely. And I think it's just because of a... <laughs> it's a product of Julio Jones being hobbled. Julio Jones was not right this entire game. And whenever Matt Ryan doesn't have Julio Jones, it's like he... The entire offense suffers significantly. Julio Jones was 2 for 39 on two targets. And then they just fed Russell Gage 12 targets. He caught 7 of 58. 7 for 58, I should say. Calvin Ridley had 9 targets, caught 5 for 90. And Atlanta couldn't get anything going on the ground. And it was just a gross game for Atlanta where they kicked three field goals. And that's all they did. Three long field goals, too. They couldn't even really get close. The Saints, Michael Thomas went over 100 yards. First time this season, 12 targets, 9 catches for 104. Emmanuel Sanders had 4 catches for 66. Could have had more. A couple penalties called him back. Alvin Kamara, 13 carries for 45 yards and a touchdown. Only had one target, had no catches. Not a great thing to see from Taysom Hill. You kind of want Alvin Kamara to be used, but he wasn't. Not great for people who own Alvin Kamara in fantasy, to be honest. But this was just a beatdown. New Orleans gets to go to 8-2. and two. Now they're in lead of the of the conference, I should say, first seed, because Green Bay ended up losing to Indianapolis, which we'll get into a little later. And the Falcons fall to 3-7. and seven. 
They were playing hot after Dan Quinn was relieved, with Raheem Morris being their head football coach in the interim. But it didn't last, at least not against the Saints, who are one of the top two teams in the NFC on skill set. They're not really a fraudulent team, and the creative mind of Sean Payton can get them out of a lot of different things, as we've seen. And I guess we'll see Taysom Hill for the next couple weeks, possibly, unless they go to Jameis whenever Drew Brees comes back off the IR. But until then, let's hope Taysom Hill throws the football to Alvin Kamara a little bit. Then we had the Detroit Lions put up a big goose egg against the Carolina Panthers. Another interesting part about this game was another gadget type of quarterback had to start. P.J. Walker, Jersey guy, Temple alum, so Matt Rule connection, and former MVP of the XFL of the Houston Roughnecks. Started this game and went 24-34, 258 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. Two kind of bad interceptions, a little bit ill-advised. One was in the red zone, so it was definitely something that you definitely don't want to see. But he ends up getting this win, wins this game 20 to nothing, and he looked solid outside of some dopey mistakes. And Detroit can't stop anything on the ground. They really struggle in that regard. And the Carolina Panthers kind of established the run well, didn't really get a lot of yards per carry. Mike Davis had 19 carries for 64 yards, averaging 3.4 yards carry and a touchdown. They mixed in Rodney Smith, 8 carries for 29 yards, 3.6. DJ Moore had a 21-yard rush, and PJ Walker just targeted DJ Moore, and they really had DJ Moore in this game plan. DJ Moore had a pass in this game as well. He had 11 targets, caught 7 of them for 127 yards. Curtis Samuel had 10 targets, caught 8 of them for 70 yards and a touchdown. Robbie Anderson had 9 targets, caught 7 of them for 46 yards. So it was the P.J. Walker show. It was the Taysom Hill show. You had to love that. And as for Detroit, didn't have DeAndre Swift, who's out with concussion, may not even play on Thanksgiving, remains to be seen. No Kenny Galladay, who's still injured. Marvin Jones is banged up, but he still caught six. Well, he had six targets, caught four of them for 51 yards. T.J. Hawkinson had seven targets, caught four of them for 68 yards. And then Matt Stafford threw no touchdowns, no interceptions, dropped back 33 times, hit 18 of them for 178 yards. Couldn't really do anything against Carolina. Now Carolina's four and seven, Detroit's four and six. The Carolina Panthers, team that's been struggling recently, they get this win without Teddy Bridgewater, obviously, who was out. And Teddy doesn't, it seemed like it was up in the air if he was going to play in this game. So it seems like he might be back soon. Carolina's bye, I want to say, is week 13. I'm not sure if they're going to try to ride P.J. Walker through that. So just pay attention to the practice reports to see. I'd imagine if he almost dressed for this game, he'd probably play next week. But we'll have to wait and monitor that specific situation. Let's go on to the Dolphins and the Broncos. Now, Miami Dolphins were 6-3 and three and they were cruising and they get to go to Denver, a team that does not have a great quarterback, a team that has significantly struggled recently, a team that just got beat so bad by the Las Vegas Raiders in such an embarrassing fashion. They go to Denver, and they get beat 20-13. to Denver earns a home win. Drew Locke throws an interception in this game early on, doesn't throw a touchdown, but finishes 18-30 of for 270 yards, albeit about 40 of those yards came last minute when he was just running the clock out, dropping back. He throws a pass to just kind of kill the clock, so Miami doesn't get a punt. And Tim Patrick came down with the ball. <laughs> and it was a he finished with five catches for 119 yards and eight targets. And that was a big part of his statistical output. Almost broke away for a touchdown, but Xavier Howard 
ends up tracking him down and gets him. And the rushing attack for Denver, something that's been much maligned with Pat Shermer as their offensive coordinator. They didn't use Philip Lindsay like at all last week. He finishes finishes with 16 for 82. Looked really good. Melvin Gordon, 15 for 84, two touchdowns. Miami's defense, what happened? We have no idea. Now, Miami's offense couldn't really stay on the field. Two attack by Aloha got hit awkwardly, and they replaced him with Ryan Fitzpatrick, but it might have been a replacement because Tua just couldn't do anything at all. Miami scored an early touchdown because the defense set the offense up, and Tua threw a nice touchdown pass to Devontae Parker. Devontae finished his nine targets, six catches for 61 yards, but that was set up by an interception that Drew Locke threw. Then after that, they had a field goal drive, and then they couldn't do anything. And they let Denver stay in the game. Miami's defense was just out there way too long. The offense couldn't possess the ball. They couldn't establish the run. Solomon Ahmad had 12 carries for 43 yards. It's not terrible. But they were just out of sync. Mike Kosicki finishes five targets, four catches for 43 yards. And Denver, got to give credit to him. Denver gets this win. Denver was able to outgain him. Had almost 460 yards of offense. Miami had 223. It looks like Tua's going to start next week, so I don't think there's any kind of controversy, but it's, just, it's it's odd that you bench your rookie quarterback and bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick when his back's up against the wall. I know this division race is still up in the air with Buffalo. And when you had the New England Patriots losing in the earlier slate, and obviously Miami Dolphins were aware of this. They have a loss in Week 2 on the record to the Buffalo Bills, so that Week 17 game is going to be so important. And this game was so important, a winnable game, and they lost it. Now they get to go to the Jets, obviously winnable game. Then they get to face the Bengals without Joe Burrow, play the Chiefs, it's probably going to be a loss, play the Patriots, winnable game at home, at the Raiders, probably going to lose, especially if you play like you just did on the road, and then at Ralph Wilson Stadium up in Buffalo. You don't want to see your rookie quarterback bench, and he needs to find his groove and establish himself as a person that can never be benched in this offense. Now, they might say, yeah, he got dinged up. It was kind of an awkward hit. He seemed fine, though. But I'm not a freaking doctor. There's that. So maybe I should just shut my mouth. Let's move on to the Jets and the Chargers. I thought on the low key that this could be a winnable game for the New York Jets. This could be potentially one of their only chances of getting a win. And then Justin Herbert just lit the Jets on fire from the get-go. And I was like, oh, geez, 24-6 at halftime. But then you can never underestimate Anthony Lynn's ability to let teams back in. And I don't want to sit here and just slight Anthony Lynn, but it happens quite a bit with his teams. And the Jets crawled back into this game, scored 13 points in the third, scored four points in the fourth, and Chargers only scored 10 in the second half. And obviously they were playing a little bit more conservatively, but it was definitely concerning. The Jets were able to put themselves in a position to be in a one-score game. And the final score was 34-28 to in this game. It's just the Jets couldn't stop anything in the middle of the field. Keenan Allen had one of the best games of his career. At 19 targets, finished with 16 catches for 145 yards and a touchdown. Mike Williams, 7 targets over the middle of the field. Once his touchdown, that went for 39 yards. He finished with 4 catches for 72. Hunter Henry, 7 targets, had a touchdown, 4 for 48. Justin Herbert threw the ball 49 times. Completed 37 of them for 366 yards, three touchdowns. A lot of that was done in the first half. And then there was a lot of Kalen Balaj, 
16 carries for 44 yards. And the Jets just kind of crawled back into the game. Deep pass, 49 yards to Rashad Perriman for a touchdown. Chris Hernan had a late touchdown. Joe Flacco made it somewhat interesting. He also opened the game by throwing a pick six, literally, right to the flat, which was disgusting. Finished for 205 yards and two touchdowns, though. And then the rushing attack of New York. LaMichael P. Ryan got hurt, but he finished with 8 for 33 and a touchdown. Frank Gore, 15 carries for 61 yards and a touchdown. But the Chargers are lucky. They are. It's the first three possessions of the second half for the Jets. was touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Seven play, ten play, nine play. And towards the end of the game, they forced a turnover on downs where the Jets went for it on fourth and nine, and they failed to convert. So the Jets, man, whew, they might go defeated. They might be that team to go defeated, which is incredibly demoralizing. But caveat, positive one, I guess you could say, is Trevor Lawrence. They could possibly get Trevor Lawrence out of this, which is the plan, isn't it? Tank for Trevor or whatever kind of cool little phrase that is going around football right now whenever a team is pitiful. The fact that the Chargers almost ended up blowing this game somewhat is definitely concerning. It definitely is. The Chargers were able to possess the ball far more than the Jets, 36 minutes to 23. Yet it still finished close one-score game. But the Jets will jet. Adam Gase will Adam Gase. And Trevor Lawrence, if you don't stay in school, welcome to New York or Jersey. Anyways, moving on to the Packers and the Colts which was a really interesting game between two really good teams. And the Packers just couldn't finish the game. Sloppy mistakes, dumb mistakes. They were able to force overtime. They were able to drive down the field in the waning seconds of the fourth quarter to set up a Mason Crosby field goal attempt, which he converted, making the score 31-31, heading to overtime. Green Bay receives the ball. And instead of using Devontae Adams like you did all throughout that last drive to get you into field goal range, you threw a pass to someone not named Devontae Adams, and then you threw a quick flare pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who fumbled the football. Indianapolis recovered, rushed it three times. Rodrigo Blankenship kicked the field goal to win the game in overtime. Indianapolis goes to 7-3. Green Bay drops to 7-3. Blankenship was great in this game. He missed a 50-yard field goal but he made four other ones for the Indianapolis Colts, including that one in overtime. That wasn't exactly a chip shot. Phillip Rivers finished with three touchdowns and a pick, 24 completions on 36 attempts for 288 yards. Michael Pittman Jr. had his first touchdown in the NFL, three targets, caught all three of them for 66 yards. And Phillip, he's, someone said this, and I liked it, he's target agnostic. He just doesn't care. He throws the ball to anybody. He hit Pittman Jr., three targets. Zach Paschal, three targets. Trey Burton, five targets. T.Y. Hilton, six targets. Naheem Hines, four targets. Jonathan Taylor, four targets. Mo Cox, two targets. Jordan Wilkins, one target. Jack Doyle, two targets. Marcus Johnson, three targets. Michael Harris, one target. He's going to target whoever's open. It's probably not going to be that deep because it's Phillip Rivers. But the Colts, man, in this game, they wanted to run the football. We heard a lot of, I guess, press about how Jonathan Taylor hasn't been good. We've heard that for about a month, and he hasn't been. They gave him 22 carries in this game. And he rushed for 90 yards. It's solid. It's not great. It's solid. They trusted him, especially down the stretch. And he also was used in the passing game as well. 
And as for Green Bay, I mean, Green Bay had a 28-14 to lead at halftime here. Indianapolis came out and scored 11 points in the third quarter. Green Bay didn't do anything. They were playing conservative. Jamal Williams rushed here. Aaron Jones rushed there. Couldn't really get a lot going against DeForest Buckner in this front. They targeted Devontae Adams eight times. He was facing primarily against Rakyasin. They were clouding the safety over top, obviously. But he had eight targets, caught all seven of them for 106 yards and a touchdown. Robert Tanyan had another touchdown, and Jamal Williams had the other receiving touchdown. The Packers, man. They just tend to do this. They tend to be a very frustrating team. If I was a Packers fan, I'd be very frustrated because you know the kind of skill set that they have. You know how good they can be. You have Aaron Rodgers, and even when they put themselves in a position to succeed, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot. They let Indianapolis crawl back into this game. Now the Packers lost the number one seed in the conference to the Saints. And Green Bay in this game didn't have the ball all that much. They couldn't sustain drives as well. Indianapolis was kind of running the ball down Green Bay's throat a little bit here, a little bit there, short pass here and there, as we saw with Phillip Rivers, who, again, dropped back 36 times. Packers defense is not great in the short to intermediate parts of these field. The Packers defense has given up a lot of rushing yards, a lot of rushing touchdowns this season. And with a defense like that, you have to question, once they get to the playoffs, is just going to be the NFC Championship in 2019 all over again? Or a superior team just beats the ever-living crap out of them? They're a team that's going to need home field advantage, even without fans, just the cold. The fact that they're used to playing in the cold could give them an advantage over some of these warmer weather teams, especially people like the Saints. The Packers, their schedule, they get the Bears next week, prime time. The Eagles, then at the Lions, then the Panthers, Titans, then at the Bears. So you only have two away games now. So with only two away games, that's a lot of Lambeau in the winter. It's very great for the Green Bay Packers if they can win those games. Bears, though, cold weather team. Eagles, kind of a cold weather team. Titans and Panthers, not so much. But the Packers not having to travel and having those elements on their side should assist them. The Saints, even without Drew Brees, are still rolling right now. We'll see if that continues. And then we have the last game that we're going to be talking about, and that is the Dallas Cowboys, who unfortunately defeated the Minnesota Vikings 31-28. I had a feeling the Cowboys were going to come out of the bye somewhat strong. I had nothing to kind of base it off of because nothing about that team, Mike McCarthy, Mike Nolan, makes me feel like their players are necessarily really getting up for them. But with Andy Dalton returning... I expected them to be more formidable on offense. And they were. They weren't great, but they were more formidable. And Andy Dalton wasn't spectacular, but he had three touchdown passes, only threw one interception, 203 yards, 32 attempts, 22 completions. Ezekiel Elliott went over 100, 21 carries for 103 yards. Tony Pollard got five carries, broke one of them off for 42 yards and a touchdown, had 60 yards total on the ground. And then Minnesota... Kirk Cousins had three touchdowns, had over 300 yards passing. Dalvin Cook had over 100 yards on the ground on 27 carries and a tutty. Adam Thielen, 11 targets, 8 for 123 and two touchdowns. Justin Jefferson, 3 for 86 and a touchdown. But it was just too little for the Minnesota Vikings, who allowed the Dallas Cowboys to put up 15 points in the fourth quarter and kind of crawl back into this game because it was 16-7 in halftime. And then... The rushing attack of Minnesota and Adam Thielen in the second half scored 21 points for Minnesota. But in the fourth quarter, they couldn't slow down Dallas's offense. 
and they turned the ball over on downs. Dallas was able to mount long drives, 11 for 61 yards, capping it off with a Dalton Schultz touchdown late in the game. Tony Pollard with that electric run kind of flipped the script. It was coming out of halftime. We saw how the Minnesota Vikings wanted to really use Adam Thielen when they're in the red zone, which is exactly what they did against the Chicago Bears. That seemed like the new thing that they're doing, and it's working. But Dallas got the best of Minnesota's defense. And Minnesota's defense kept committing some silly penalties. It did not help them. There were a couple different teams that were committing a lot of penalties that really worked against them in this slate. And the penalties in this game, Minnesota had eight penalties for 80 yards. Turned the football over twice. It's not ideal. Just that one interception by Dallas was enough to ensure that they can win this football game. Minnesota had over 430 yards of offense. Dallas had 375 yards of offense. But when the chips were on the table and Minnesota could drive down, tie the game up with a field goal, force overtime, Minnesota could not do it. Dallas's defense stepped up, so you got to give some credit to Dallas, unfortunately. Again. But now this NFC East just got that much more interesting. Philadelphia's 3-6-1, New York, Dallas, and Washington all 3-7. and seven. And Dallas, Washington get to play at the 4 o'clock slate on Thanksgiving so all of us can watch that game, see what happens, see who wins, and see if Dallas looks as pathetic as they did against Washington in their first matchup. Only obviously this game is in Jerry's world. So that will be on Thanksgiving. Anyways, thank you guys for listening to Falado on Football. I am the host, Nicholas Falado. Please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast anywhere you listen to this great podcast stream. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. And please enjoy your Thanksgivings. Bye-bye.